Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, this is week two in our series called Home Improvement. I'm still in my title from that old TV show, Home Improvement, uh, with Tim the Toolman Taylor. How many, we talked about it last week, but how many understand that our homes are always either improving or they're decaying? That is true of the physical house, it's true of the spiritual house, it's true of physical buildings, it's also true of, of, of family institutions like moms and dads and the, the, the family unit, whether you're a single mom, a single dad, a traditional family, whatever that is today. Uh, but, but all of that, our relationships, our families are constantly, even our spirit life with the Lord, our spirit relationship is always improving or it's decaying. And so we want to talk about today and next week when I'll finish this series about improving our home improvement. And today's message title is simply called Gently Restore. How many understand there's an extreme value on things that are restored? Right? If you have a a 1966 Mustang, like the red one in that picture, it's going to have a certain value to it. It's going to have a, that one especially probably only has like an eclectic value to it. If you buy that, you're only going to pay X amount of dollars for it because you understand there's a lot of work that needs to be done, not just from the outside, because how do you know what you see on the outside is usually the best, but on the inside is usually worse. Uh, but, but once something's been restored, the restored value is often higher than the original value. I want to encourage you this morning, if your life, is in need of spiritual restoral. If your family is in need of, of restoral in some capacity, if you have relationships that are in need of restoral, I am convinced that the, that the restored value of what God can do in your future is even greater than the original value that you had assigned to relationships and what you thought was possible with God. We serve a God who's in the restoration business. And we've all had moments when we've needed to be restored. There's only two people in the room today, two, two categories of people. Those who have been restored by God and those who need to be restored by God. All of us in this room are in one of those two categories. We're either constantly recognized and we need God's help or we need God's help and we're just not aware of it. But that's hard to see because here's what I've discovered most People who need restoring don't look like they need restoring. It's not like a car that the rust and the beat up parts are just glamoring on the are, are shining to us on the outside. Most of the time, when we need family restoration or spiritual restoration, usually our outside is the last thing to go. Usually, we can put out a pretty big a pretty big front. To our friends, to our family member, we can put our, a great picture on social media that, that pictures something that looks nice on the outside, but it doesn't really exist. In reality, we need restoration. And so Galatians chapter 6 talks about how you and I can be used to bring restoration to people's hearts and their lives, and even to families. I want to look at it, verse 1 of chapter 6 of Galatians. Dear brothers and sisters, if If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, 
or the King James Version says spiritual, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Sometimes we just need to write that on a business card and keep in our wallet to remind ourselves we are not that important, right? We're important to God. So pay careful attention to your own work, for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourselves to anyone else. Do you know where the downward spiral of needing spiritual restoration usually starts? When we start comparing our life to someone else's. And we think that either I'm not as bad as they are, or man, I wish I was as good as they are. When really, we're comparing ourselves to the wrong person. Because the Word says we're each responsible for our own conduct. Father, we love you. I know within the sound of my voice and watching online today, there are people who need deep spiritual restoration. They have put up a great front. Lord, but their insecurities are eating away at them. Their compromise is costing them. And the shadows that they're living in is robbing them of the potential you have for their life. God, I also know in this room today there are families and marriages that look great on the outside. But on the inside, they're wasting away. God, I pray today will be a healing day for both those people. God, I also know that around every believer in this room, out in the world, and sometimes in the home we live in, there are other people around us who need deep spiritual restoration. God, I pray that by the end of this message today, each of us will realize that we have been anointed and appointed. We've been called by God, not to just say what a shame it is that the world is falling apart. But God, you have placed us there so that we could be salt and light, that we could be the hands of Jesus extended to them so that we could be part of their restoration process as well. So I pray today you'll heal us, but more than that, I pray you'll use us. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you define Galatians chapter 6? Those of you who are spiritual should help those who are trapped, caught in deceptions, what the Word says. I want to ask you, how do you know if you're spiritual? Those of you who are godly, the Word says, should be active in bringing reconciliation to those who are far from God or far from each other. How do you know if you're really spiritual enough to do such activity? If I were to ask you, well, what does it mean to be really spiritual? We would probably all answer that word a lot of different ways. The culture we live in today, how many know that the culture we live in in the U.S., we value spirituality? We really do. Some of you look at me like, no, Pastor, I think most people in the world, they don't care anything about God. You're right. They don't care about Jesus, but they care about spirituality. Everything is spiritual in their life. It's just not the right things. But, but how do we define being spiritual in a biblical sense? And I begin to think, well, how do I know if someone's spiritual? And I begin to think, well, I guess if someone reads the Word a lot, they're probably spiritual. If they pray a lot, that's, it's probably spiritual, except for there is, you know, there is a time or two in the New Testament when someone was praying 
in a very nice sounding way, but their prayer was actually just a facade. It was just, it was just kind of make-believe. They were trying to impress people instead of connect with God. So prayer can be a way, being in the Word is definitely can be a way. Serving can definitely be a way, but we got to make sure we're serving is unto God and not just under, uh, unto people, being exuberant in worship could be uh, a dip, uh, an example of spirituality, but you know, all that to say, let me just say it this way. How many would agree that spirituality can be faked at our surface level? Right? But Paul, he gives a different measure for spirituality that I think we need to add to our list of what does it mean to be a spiritual person. He says, you who are godly should help those who are struggling. Here's a measure of spirituality. How much am I involved in helping someone else who is struggling? Because that might be a measure of how spiritual I'm really being. Not just what I'm doing that other people see, not what I'm doing that someone else said I should do, but am I really committed and actively seeking to see, can I help someone else who is struggling? Can I help restore the broken? Can I help heal the hurting? Can I help provide for those that are without? See, here's what I want you to know this morning. Spirituality is not a badge of honor, but rather it's a role of responsibility that I'm going to make a difference in someone's life like someone made a difference in me. Paul says spirituality is about our willingness to participate and the redemptive process of another life without being compromised ourselves. And doesn't that kind of line up with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he also writes to the church in, in Corinth and say, hey, listen, it doesn't matter if you speak in tongues. It doesn't matter if you have all these spiritual giftings. It doesn't matter all the, all, if you have words like angels. Does, none of that matters if you don't have love. If what God has put in you is not existing for the purpose of his kingdom and other people, then what is flowing out of you is really not that spiritual. Spirituality is not, not based on what, just what God has put in us, but rather how is what God put in us coming out to be part of the restoration process of someone else. So today I hope that, I'm just, I, just got, I got two hopes this morning. Number one, I hope that if you're hurting, you understand God can restore you today. But number two, for all of us, I hope you understand God is wanting to use you. I want to say that again. God is wanting to use you. Pastor, maybe I'm not that spiritual. Then that should place an urgency on us to level up our spirituality so God can use us. By the way, you don't have to be able to help everybody to help somebody, right? You don't have to know everything to help someone with something. You don't have to own everything. To help someone with something. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, you know, if I had a million dollars, I would give X, Y, Z to help this cause or help that person. Well, how about the $10 you got in your wallet? How about you use that $10 to help someone down the street from you, across the aisle from you, your neighbor? Use what you have instead of focusing on what you don't have. So, so how can God use us? How can God heal us? How can we part of, be part of restoration? Number one, we have to realize that Great people sometimes make great mistakes. Dear brothers and sisters, 
if some evil person who's never been to church, who cheers for the opposing football team that you don't like, if they fall into sin, then you should help them. No, no. It says, dear brothers and sisters, if another, what's that word? Believer. Say it again. Believer. That is indicating that sometimes believers mess up. Sometimes believers get caught in situations that you would never think would be possible. Sometimes believers do things that they said they would never do. Sometimes believers make mistakes that you think a believer would never make. But let's be honest, haven't we all done that? Haven't we all been a a person who loved God, but then we found ourselves in a place that we said we'd never be? I've discovered that great wives make great mistakes. Not mine, but others do. (laughs) Great husbands make great mistakes. Great kids make huge mistakes. Great parents. You're not going to believe this. Even great pastors find themselves in great sin at times. 2 Corinthians, Paul even talks about, he says that I fear that somehow your pure and your undivided devotion will be corrupted just as Eve and Adam were corrupted in the garden. We have to understand all of us are susceptible to failure. And when we, when we fail, we are in need of restoration. It happens because the enemy is a deceiver, he's a seducer, and he's good at his job. So Paul writes and he says, listen church, you've got to be willing to minister to those who are in need of restoration. He says, don't just write them off. Don't just say they love God. They wouldn't have done that. If they were sincere, that wouldn't have happened. If they were committed, they would have never gone there. You can't just say it. If they were really serious about God, then, that, then they would have never tripped up. Can I just tell you, good people make bad decisions sometimes. And we cannot allow ourselves or others to be, to be defined by our latest and greatest fall. You know, I've discovered in the Word of God there's a lot of people that we define them today. Here we are 2,000 years later. We define them by their mistakes. Like, what's the lady's name who Jesus met after the the lady at the well? What was her name? The lady at the well. That's it. The lady, she had five husbands, and the person she was living with was not her husband. That's all we know about her. What about the lady who was caught in the very act of adultery? What's her name? The Bible says, the lady caught. That's a little, that's a little italicized. It's not part of the whole scripture, but that's how they define that paragraph. What about the lady with the issue of blood? I'm just saying that oftentimes we define people by their worst days and not their best days. And, and it seems like, especially in the Bible, we, we, we seem to pick on ladies a lot. 
that way. It wasn't just ladies, though. I mean, uh, think about King David. He was a man after God's own heart. God even said of David, he is a man after my own heart, but yet he was a man who had adultery. He was a murderer. He's a, he was a stealer. He was a robber. He was full of lust and adultery, but yet we don't really remember him uh, as being that. Our first mind, if I, if I were to ask you, tell me something about David, most he would say, well, he was the guy that killed Goliath. He was the guy that, that sang Saul to sleep with his heart. He was the guy that, that was a, the king that the line of Jesus would come out of. Most of us say all these great things, but we don't define him by his worst day. So why do we define ourselves that way? And why do we define others that way? When God is in the restoration business, Jonah was a great prophet of God that was used to turn a whole city towards God. But before he did that, what did he do? He went the total opposite direction than what God had told him to do. Let me just take a survey. You can raise your hands and not be ashamed because I promise you will not be alone. But how many of you have ever gone the exact opposite way than God told you to? Right? Great people make great mistakes. See, I think you're great people. And you just admitted, we, I've, done some, I've done some great mistakes. I have gone completely opposite of what God told me to do, which, by the way, the definition of that is this, sin. Well, Pastor, I didn't know I was admitting to be a sinner. Welcome to the club. We already knew it anyway. I'm just glad you're finally saying, yeah, I are one. You know, Peter denied Jesus three times. Even after he vowed, maybe, maybe everybody else is Jesus, but not me. I would rather die. We have to remember that God has great grace for great people who make great mistakes. And just because a great person makes a great mistake doesn't mean they're no longer a great person in the eyes of God or in the eyes of the kingdom. And the best way, I've, for me personally, the best way I've ever de- discovered to develop grace for someone else is to remember how much God's grace I required myself. I can tell you if there was a label on the back of my shirt, like there's a label on the back of my, of my body, like there is on the back of my shirt, it would read something like this, much grace required. It, it, would, it would let you know that what I'm made of is a whole lot of God's grace and nothing else. Today, we want to be careful. We identify with our Savior and not our sins. I know I'm spending too much time on this point, but there's, there's two... There's two organizations, and I thank God for both of them, that are helping people come out of addiction. Uh, the first one that's been around the longest that has helped thousands of people, and some of you in the room, I know that the, this organization has helped you, is, is Alcoholics Anonymous. Seen a lot of people set free. The second organization is that's doing a lot of great work. Both of these organizations, by the way, happen in, in, the, uh, in the life of, of churches, is Celebrate Recovery. But I've discovered there's two differences. There's one major difference between the two organizations. If you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous or if I were to go there, I would have to, at some point, come to the grips where I can make this statement, hello, my name is Greg, and I'm an alcoholic. But if you go to Celebrate Recovery, there's one difference. When it comes to that part of the program, what you would say is, hi, my name is Greg, and I'm a child of God who struggles and you name your addiction. And I so much appreciate that second approach because, listen, nothing I have done 
can separate from me from who I am in Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a co-heir with Christ. And I may be down today, but the Bible says a righteous person falls seven times up, seven times, and they get back up. My greatest failure and your greatest failure does not have to be the greatest defining moment of your life because God offers restoration for all of us. Listen, we have all had a moment of sin. But we can also all have a moment with God where there are sins which are many can be washed white as snow. I love when I grew up, I used to sing this song. I won't try to sing it to you, but it just said grace, grace, God's grace. And it ended up with this part of the refrain, grace that is greater than all of my sin. Can I tell you, God's grace is still greater than all of your sin. Number two, knowing that God's grace is greater than our sin, knowing that great people make great mistakes, we have to pursue people with humility and gentleness. He says, you who are godly, listen to this word, should. That's a command. You should pursue them with gentleness and humility. And I want to I share with you a principle this morning that a lot of people would disagree with. But I want to tell you, most people's opinion is not found in the Bible. Most, there's this concept in, our, in, in churches today, and especially among believers today, there's this concept that goes like this, my sin is my business. How many of you have ever told some, or at least thought to yourself, I just wish they would stay out of my business? Did you know as believers, we're commanded to get in each other's business? There is nowhere in Scripture where your business is just your business. Now, I know that goes against our American concept because we celebrate individuality. We celebrate our independence from one another. We want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and it doesn't matter who it affects or how many people it hurts their feelings. But in the Word of God, we're all connected. In the Word of God, if you'll study it, you'll discover that your sin never stays put. Your sin always affects someone else. And so we have a responsibility to reach out to one another in times of people needing restoration and help. When we see them going the wrong direction, we have a responsibility to speak up and say, Hey, I think you're going the wrong direction. Well, Pastor, you know, they might, they, they don't want to hear that. Probably not. Probably not. But are we going to tell people what they want to hear? Are we going to tell people what they need to hear? I love the example of Charles Stanley, a great preacher of the Word. I love, I love the example he used several years ago. He said he had a lady in his church get married. And just weeks into her marriage, she discovered... Her husband was a homosexual. And so within weeks of her marriage, their, her marriage fizzled. Her husband left her for another lover. And after the marriage was over, 
this lady had multiple friends come to her and tell her, you know, we knew all along that guy was like that. You know what she wanted to know? Why didn't you tell me? What kind of friend doesn't speak up? What kind of friend doesn't get involved? What kind of friend doesn't say, hey, listen, the direction you're going isn't going to work out for you. So he kind of made a, he made a decision that day. From that point on, anytime he sees someone headed down a road of destruction, he would step in. You know, the proverb says it like this, that he who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than one who flatters with a tongue. You know, there's an example of this process in the Word of God, multiple examples. You know, the lady at the well, Jesus went out of his way to confront her about her sin. Jesus leaves the 99. We know that parable to go after the one because he doesn't just want the one wandering off in sin and destruction. Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, what did they do? They ran and they hide, but Jesus pursued them. He even asked them, hey, where are you? Why are you settling for this temporary cover-up? Why? Because God knew where they were, but he wanted them to return. I'm here to tell you that humble people pursue people. Spiritual people pursue people even when they don't want to be pursued. That's what it means to humbly pursue people, which, by the way, Gentleness, there's a flip side of that, gentleness does not sugarcoat the truth. Well, Pastor, I'm just going to pursue them, but I'm not going to confront them. Well, if you ignore their mistakes or you ignore their sin, basically what you're saying is what you're doing is okay, which is dishonest and not truthful which is not humble and is not gentle, and it doesn't work in restoring. So we have to pursue people with gentleness and with the truth, not ignore their sin. And the third part of being part of the restoration process is this. You have to guard yourself against the same temptation. It says, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Let me just read a couple of scriptures to you this morning. They'll be on the screen. Proverbs chapter 4 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving to God, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all your understandings, will, here's that word again, guard your heart. Those who are spiritual, the word says, they should restore those who are broken and those who are lost. But in the same process, you've got to be, be aware that what has corrupted them can also corrupt you. In other words, what, what Paul is saying, he's, he's saying to understand that you are not uncorruptible. What they have fallen into, you also can fall into. Those who are spiritual should restore but they should do so with an awareness. Years ago, I, had, I was listening to uh, Rick Warren speak at a conference. And recently, at that time, there had been a, just a, a slew of high-profile ministers who had fallen, who had made, point one, great people making great mistakes. And he made the, the, 
he made this comment, which when he first made it, I thought, man, you're going a, a really bad direction with this. But he said every time he reads a news article, whether it's on the news or if it's in the newspaper, uh, every time he reads about a, a Christian, a minister, a leader, anyone who's making a big-time mistake in sin, he said what I do is I immediately hit print, and I print out the article. And I thought, man, that's not the thing to do, to try to remember what these people's mistakes. And so he prints out the article, and then he, he puts it in a file, like a, you know, you know what a real file is? Not a file on your computer, like paper, and you put paper inside a cardboard thing. F- file. He would keep, he would keep copy after copy. And so at this point in his life, he had, you know, his folder was like an inch thick of just person after person after person, great person after great person who committed great sins and great mistakes. And as he's talking about what he does, does, I'm like, why on earth would he do that? And he said, because once a year I get out that folder and I read through every one of them. And before I read the title, I insert this one word. And the one word is this, warning. Because the sin that can corrupt others, he realized, could corrupt him. Anytime we see a brother or sister fall, the first thing we should do is we should hear the warning light of the Holy Spirit beckon our heart to the reality that if we are not careful, the same could happen to us. And so, Corinthians says it like this in chapter 12. I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 112 says, Be careful the moment you think you stand, least you fall. I was reading, have you ever heard the stat? Did you know that 25% of all car accidents happen within three minutes of your home? Have you ever heard that stat before? They say if you take it out to five minutes, that you can add another 15%. So basically 40% of all car accidents happen within five minutes of your home, which for a guy that only commutes a minute and a half is kind of dangerous. I mean, because that's all my driving. But I begin to research, how come all the accidents happen within the first five miles? And the number one reason they say that all the accidents, I'm sorry, the first five minutes, the, the number one reason that was reported why accidents happen so often, so close to home, is what this one, it's just this one thought process. Overconfidence and familiarity. They're so familiar with the path and they're so confident of what's supposed to be there, what's not supposed to be there. They feel like, well, I'm home now. They let their guards down or they don't put them up because they're so close to home. Friends, I believe in a lot of ways we are close to home, but we can't let our guard down. The Bible says in the last days there's going to be all kind of troubles that the world has never known. In the same time, there's going to be a great outpouring of the Spirit. Either way, in both ways, you can't let your guard down, but you've got to press into the Lord and don't lose what He's entrusted into you. We can't be overconfident. That's the one word the article used. We can't be overconfident when helping someone out of sin. What trapped them can trap you too. Number four, Megan, if you want to come. Never lose your willingness to reach down and help someone out. If you think you're too important to help someone you're only fooling yourself. 
When I read Galatians 6, verse 23, it says, Never be too important to stoop down. I begin to think my brain just naturally goes to Luke chapter 10, where Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember who was supposed to help out the Good Samaritan first? A priest came by. A Levite came by. In other words, church people came by at first. But they were too busy to stop and help. And so the story of the Good Samaritan, we only know that story as the Good Samaritan because those who claim to be the God followers wouldn't take time out. And that is so, I'll just preach to myself for a moment and you just be, come along. It's so easy to, to be busy with the work of God that you miss the work of God. I don't know if you can follow that. But if you're not careful, you can miss the work of God by doing the work of God. I wonder if that's what happened to the priest and the Levite. But this, this stranger, this unsuspecting man, the person with no obligation and no, no physical attachment at all, went out of his way to help bring restoration. And we know from the story of the Good Samaritan, real quickly, that restoration can be timely and it can be costly. It can be messy, but the Good Samaritan was willing to pay what it cost, take the time that it took, and get, get messy in the process. I want to just challenge you. I said this at the beginning of the message that people who need restoration, most of the times, they don't look like that red Mustang on the first picture. They don't look beat up. Sometimes they do, but most of the time they look they look like you. They look like me. They look put together. They look like they have it all together. There, there's, no, there's no economic social status that you can tell if someone needs to be restored or not. The down and out need to be restored, but how many know the up and out need to be restored too? There's broken people at every economic level, at every social level, there's people that need the help of God. And we cannot assume, and this is something I need you to listen to this morning, we cannot assume that people are as put together as they look. I want to say that again. We cannot assume people are as put together as they look. How many of you have ever just put on a face for a moment or for a season. You ever had someone say, hey, how's it going? You said, great. On the inside, you knew. You just lied like a dog because life was not great. Right? We've all done that, right? Not just me. So we've all displayed t togetherness on the outside. But on the inside, we're empty. We're hurting. We're desperately needing someone to reach out to us and lift us. Well, Pastor, what do I do with that? You pray before you go to work. God, help me see past people's front. Help me see past their persona. Help me look past what they're displaying as the truth. And if there's a way I can be part of the restoration process, use me. Be committed to 
gently restoring people. I'll just say this. You don't have to go around the world to make a world of difference in someone's life. You just got to love them, reach out to them, care for them, pray for them, do for them what God would want done for them. I want to ask you about your heads this morning. Two, two questions. Number one, you're in the room, you say, Pastor, I'm in, I'm in desperate need of restoration personally. Maybe you feel like you're trapped in sin, you're trapped in a broken relationship, you're trapped in a broken home. Maybe you've excused it, maybe you've just tried to fake it, maybe you try to downplay it. But you know that, that hey, th- this is, maybe you even lied to yourself and said, I can get out anytime I want to get out. I want to tell you, today's your day. God is wanting to restore your life, and God can use you to restore your family. Say, Pastor, I'm trapped today. And maybe you've just been excusing it, but say, today's the day I need, to, I need restoration in my life personally. I'm far from God, but I need to be, I need to be near to God. I'm hurting, but I want to be healthy. I need restoration. Just a private moment. You look to hand right quick and say, pray for me, Pastor. I'm not going to call you up, single you out. Amen, 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 amen. Several across the room today. Amen. Men, women, people of all ages. Which just proves that all of us need the restoration of God. Usually, repeatedly, and continually. Now, I want to ask you to look at me. Here's the last prayer. Would you dare to pray, God, would you please use me to restore others? Before you pray that prayer, let me just... Full disclosure, if you pray that prayer, I believe God will show you people in a different light than you've never seen them before. All of a sudden, people that said, say to you, yeah, I'm good, I'm fine. You're going you're gonna to sense a nudge of your spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to nudge you from the time to say, hey, they're not good and they're not fine. Ask them again, how are they really? And then you got to be ready to take the five minutes, the 10 minutes, the 20 minutes, the next three weeks, whatever it takes to, to be the hand of God extended to them to bring restoration to their life, whether it's spiritual restoration, restoration in their family. But you can let them know that God knows where you are and God can help you. So today, if you're with me, if you would just say, Pastor, I want God to use me as a source of restoration for someone else. Don't know how, don't know when, don't know if I got all the ability, but I am willing for God to use me in his restoration process for someone else. Would you join me by standing all across this room? Because I'm praying God will make us a house of people who will say, God, use me whenever, however, wherever you can, to touch whoever I can, wherever I can, no matter how lost, they may seem or how well put together they are. So we're going to pray together. If you're standing, all of us are stand, that are standing today, I want to ask you first to join me in prayer. There were several folks around this room that lifted a hand and said, I need the restoration of Jesus in my life. 
So first, let's, let's pray corporately for those who lift their hands and say, I need that today. The Word promises us that when we fall, that God not only sees our fall, but He's prepared a way of restoration for us. First John says, if we will confess that sin, He will forgive us and cleanse us from everything that's not right. So if you lift your hand today, say, I'm, I'm far from God. I'm not where I need to be today. There's th- things in my life that need to be restored. Church, would you pray with me for those who lift their hand? Father, we just pray right now. I pray right where they're seated or standing, whether they're in the room or watching online. God, I pray that right now, you will begin to lead them out of that broken place, that brokenness of their heart, that brokenness of their life, the brokenness of their spirit, the brokenness of their family, the brokenness of their past, or even the brokenness of their present. And God, I pray you will transform them in this moment and to be a person who is right with God, but not just right, who is made completely whole. So God, I pray today you'll take the broken pieces of their life and you'll put them back together. Lord, Lord, as you said through Megan during that part of worship today, that we would surrender those broken parts to you this morning. I believe that is a prophetic word for people to just surrender their brokenness to you so that you can put them back together and make what is broken whole again. And Father, I believe what is left of their life can be more valuable of what was before their life because you've restored it and you made something great out of it. You're giving them beauty for their ashes. Lord, I pray you will do that right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray like someone taking off a heavy jacket. God, I pray they will be able to shed those burdens, shed those heartaches, shed those, those, uh, th- those thoughts and all of that pain, they'll be able to shed it this morning because you're given the liberty and the power to do so in this moment. In Jesus' name. Now, church, would you join me in the second prayer? It could be a short prayer. It could be three words long. It could just be simply this, God, use me. Would you pray that with me? God, use me. God, use me today. Use me this week. Use me this year. God, use me at home, use me on the job. God, use me among my family and use me at school. God, use me to be the hands and feet of Jesus extended. Help me to bring restoration to those who are hurting. And God, I pray as I do so that I will be keenly aware that it's not that I am weak or that I am strong and they are weak, but God, it is that the grace of God is flowing in me in this moment to be the grace of God to them. So help me to be safe and secure. Help me to be wise as I'm doing so. But use me, Father, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. In Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Now listen, church, I want to ask you to look at me. We, we, this is a pretty full room right now. But I don't believe there's a church or a building in town big enough to hold the amount of people who will come to Jesus if all of us would truly let God use us to be His agents of restoration. Amen. Hurting people are surrounding us. And you know this, we are, we are stepping into one of the hardest, the happiest seasons for many, but it's also the hardest seasons for many, the holiday season. I believe this message is prepared, preparing us to use this season as a season to take those who are far from God and bring them near to God. If you will participate, if you will dare to step into someone's business for a few moments so that God can change their life. Amen. 
Father, I pray over the people today. God, I pray you will bless them. I pray you will keep them. I pray your face will shine upon them. Give them peace and give them joy, both now and forever. In Jesus' name. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? We love you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. Hey, have a wonderful day. Join a life group if you can. If no one's told you they love you yet, let me be the first to tell you I love you. God bless you. If you're a first-time guest, I'll be on the front porch. I'd love to greet you and meet you and put a gift in your hand. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.